In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hear ye, hear ye. Craig's List podcast is now in session. The Honorable Carla A. Kakowski presiding. All movies that have business with this podcast, please step forward and prepare to be judged to the harshest extent of the law by Judge Carla, and then she will deliver the verdict. Is that the movie? <laughs> the verdict? Uh, you know what the movie is, Carla. Oh, yeah. Today, we're doing the verdict on the verdict. Welcome, Craig's listeners. It's episode 3900. 3900. <laughs> We've been around for a while since the earliest days of podcasting. Uh, episode 39. That's all, Carla. And, uh, this is movie number 62 on Craigslist. This is a 1982 drama, a courtroom drama. If you will, Carla, you love courtroom dramas. Yeah, they're my fave. Why do you love courtroom dramas? I don't know, because it's just fun to watch men yell at men. <laughs> now, there's many other genres of movie that would also give you the same pleasure. Good point. If you all you want to see is men yelling at men. I don't men. love courtroom dramas. Are we joking? <laughs> Why do you not love courtroom dramas? Uh, They always feel very similar to uh, me. Uh-huh. Although I get choked up at a good closing argument speech as much as the next person. Sure. You know, I'm basing this on A Few Good Men. Good movie. Yeah. 12 Angry Men. Good movie. Uh, Law and Order. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> that really long movie, Law and Order. It's about a... Uh, I do love Law and Order. It's about a 2100-hour movie. don't watch Law and Order like I used to. I used you, to just sit well, and binge for hours. SVU is your Law and Order I jam. I like regular specifically. One too. Oh, you like regular Law and Order. I like them both. Uh, you used to give me a real hard time about watching SVU because it was so gross. And it is so gross. There's a lot of violence for about women towards yeah. women. You're right. Uh, but I figured this out recently. It's because of uh, what's her face in it? Mariska. Mariska Hargitay. Uh -huh. She's so great and she's so strong and she's really like great. empowering. And so, yeah, for, somehow she manages to balance out all the uh, other stuff. I feel similar to Sam Waterston in Law and Order. He's where a he's a boy. I almost said he's a bi. <laughs> <laughs> mixing boy what do you what do you know guy. about sam waterston's sexual life i was mixing boy and guy together and uh -huh. i was like he's a bi he's a bi <laughs> he's a man buy low sell high on sam waterston but i yeah, both of those shows like if you know the structure of any law and order you can drop in in the middle of it and start enjoying it right away because you, the, the they do the same template every time you always know who the bad guy is, you know, it's the, sure. the, the top, the most famous guest star. Uh, you know what else Sam Waterston is really good in? Uh, you're going to say Grace and Frankie, yeah. aren't you? 
<laughs> I love that show. I really didn't. I watched the pilot when it first came out and I was like, this is terrible. Yeah, I gave up on Grace and Frankie right away. And then a year later, I was like, all right, I'll try. And I fell in love with it. It's great. Okay. I love I love Sam Waterston. What are we here to talk about? We're, <laughs> well, uh, I, the other courtroom drama I was going to mention is the night of that you loved John Turturro's oh, yeah. closing argument. And Didn't that, like that right? show in general, but I think you had mixed feelings about it. Yeah, it got a little weird. Yeah, towards the end where you were like, "What is this about?" Also, it's called the night of, so let's just see a show about one night. <laughs> That's what I thought it was going to be. Like the first three episodes take place the first night, right? And so you think it's going to be that. And then all of a sudden it's not. And you're like, wait a second. Well, they got to get into the courtroom at some point, right? But they don't. Do they? How many courtroom (laughs) things have we seen? A bajillion Uh, dollar properties. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, if there was only some courtroom scenes in that, then uh, CISO might still be in business, right? Oh, CISO. (laughs) And uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Sure. Uh, maybe I'm just pointing out really good courtroom dramas, but I guess there's there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot. Yeah. My cousin Vinny. Well, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of any with ladies. What's the lady? Oh, I know the accused. Yeah, that's a lady lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Kelly McGillis mm-hmm. is uh, Jodie Foster's lawyer. Top Gun. In that. Uh, Top Gun, not a courtroom drama. Nope. You know, a great one is Presumed Innocent with Harrison Ford. Based- I think I've seen that. Based on the Scott Turo book. And I like John Grisham novels and movies as well. I, maybe I'm trying to make an argument for, I'm pleading my case. No, if I you know what will, you're saying. It's um, a good closing for argument. A, for a courtroom. Is the podcast over now? <laughs> These are my opening remarks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be making my closing argument at the end. Okay. Uh, today's movie though is a 1982 courtroom drama called The Verdict. It was directed by Sidney Lumet. And written by David Mamet. Uh, or I, I think there should be a consistency in pronunciation, right? Of course. Uh, so either David Mamet, Sidney Lumet, Sidney Lumet, David Mamet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems weird to pronounce them in different ways. And starring Paul Newman as the titular verdict. No, as uh, Frank <laughs> Galvin, a alcoholic, down on his luck lawyer who uh, gets that one big case at the end of his career. Uh, co-stars Charlotte Rampling, mm-hmm. James Mason, mm-hmm. your favorite from Lolita. Bert. Uh, Milo O'Shea as the judge and Jack Warden as, uh, Frank Galvin's uh, buddy who gives him the case. Right. Uh, like many Sydney Lumet movies, it's loaded with uh, great long pauses. <laughs> loaded with great uh, New York actors, and I think you know, similar to Dog Day Afternoon and Twelve Angry Men, the movies that we already covered by Mr. Lumet. I, I feel like uh, all the actors, even in small parts, are really good in this movie. Agreed. And uh, this was nominated for five Oscars for picture, screenplay, actor, supporting actor, and director. Paul Newman heavily favored to win the Oscar that year. I believe it was his sixth nomination. He had never won before. And uh, he, I guess, had not attended the ceremonies uh, the few previous times and was persuaded by his reps to attend, only to lose the Best Actor Oscar to Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. 
Paul Newman would win four years later, reprising his role as Fast Eddie Felsen from The Hustler in the movie The Color of Money, which is uh, often kind of uh, perceived as a career achievement award for Mr. Newman. And in fact, he had already received between the verdict and the color of money, the lifetime achievement award at the Oscars. Cause wow. I think they were afraid that he was never going to get an Oscar. And so they gave him the lifetime achievement and then he would win for color of money, which he's quite good in. But I think that's one of those like scent of a woman for Al Pacino as well, where it's like, it's not the right movie, but it's time to give this guy the award. Like the Julia Roberts one. Yeah, but she's great in Aaron Brockovich, isn't she? Yeah, but it's not a very good movie, is it? I remember thinking it was pretty good. I should see it as an adult. I think I was like 18 or something when it, it came, came out. It came out in 2000. Okay, I was... You weren't eight. You weren't 19. 18, girl. No way you were 18 in 2000. I was 19. 2000. Jesus. One year. No, 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 no. 19. Uh, but you guys know that I make lists. I make movie lists. And... I have always wanted to do a list of my 100 favorite performances. Mm-hmm. And I have never been able to do that list. It's so hard to figure out what to put on that list. Yeah. Of performances because there's probably some actors that I would have five or six times in there among my 100 favorites and that doesn't seem fair. So I tried to limit it to three performances per actor. Mm. But then when you get down to some of your favorites of like which three do you pick? Uh, so I know that I, I've never been able to do that list. I think I have a list of about 200 favorite performances that I have not ranked in any order, but I would say that, uh, there's one performance that I know for sure is my favorite uh, film performance of all time. Uh, and that is a movie in my top ten we will be covering much later. So I'll talk about that performance when we get there. Well, you have to tell us now. <laughs> Why? Because it's, it's like a pointless anecdote. Why not? <laughs> it, it, like you should just go back and delete this then. It's like uh, in one year you will remember what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, if you guys – don't want to string out the suspense for another year. Uh, my favorite film performance of all time is Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. Really? Yes. I think it's the best acting ever on film. All right. We'll see about that. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that more. Then there's three other performances that I would have tied for second among my favorites. So you did make the list. You do. You do. In make my the head, list. in my head, I have four favorites. Jimmy Stewart, number one, and then closely behind him, I all think. All men. Is what? It's all men. It's not all men. Oh. <laughs> what did you think it would be all men? I don't know. Because um, you're a guy who likes guys. I do like guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm a guy's guy. I like guys' performances. I like ladies' performances. So would it be Paul Newman in The Verdict? Paul. Well, yes. That's why we're talking about it. Right. Paul Newman in The Verdict. Gene Hackman in The Conversation. Oh. Shirley MacLaine in The Apartment. Really? Yeah. I Are we going to watch The Apartment? Maybe. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, I believe we will be watching all of those movies. What are my favorite performances? Well, Meryl, right? And everything. Meryl and everything. On. I mean, Meryl and Sophie's Choice has to be up there, yeah, right? Yeah, probably. I need to think about this. I think when I, I think I narrowed down my three favorite Meryl Street performances, uh, for that list to Sh- Sophie's Choice, uh, adaptation 
and uh devil wears prada devil wears prada <laughs> yeah honestly like those are probably my three favorite performances of hers though there's a bunch i have not seen like cry in the dark which is great and uh plenty we were thinking of doing a sub podcast i was thinking of doing a sub podcast <laughs> with craig where i make him watch all of meryl streep's movies because i haven't i just rewatched julia yesterday is Meryl Streep in? Oh, yeah, she has a very small part in that, right? It was her right? very first movie. Okay. How was Julia? Because I haven't seen it in years. Very sad. This is Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave, Yeah. Right? It's about Lillian Hellman and her best friend and how her best friend got killed trying to... Stop the Nazis? Stop the Nazis. Yeah. It's very, very sad. Yeah. Jason Robards is in it. Mm-hmm. Quite good. Um, Yeah. It, it's okay. It's really sad. And then it doesn't really have an ending. But get, give me three favorite Meryl performances then. Oh, I think the three you listed are up there for sure. Yeah. I also really like um, this movie called Falling in Love with Robert De Niro. I've never seen that one either. I think she's very good in that. And then I also really like a movie called Plenty. Yeah, I've never seen Plenty. All right. Well, we got some work to do. Okay. So the spinoff from craigslist podcast do you have time to do two podcasts a week well what we could do is just watch all of the movies and then just do one podcast watch every meryl street movie yeah <laughs> we could do it uh I, I definitely want to do this by the way i i have no problem going through the entire meryl streep uh cinematic history with you and talking about it yeah i'll do it okay okay maybe we'll split it up into two parts it's a deal okay okay cool we're in <laughs> Uh, but I, I would also say Al Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's probably my top 20, I would guess. Gosh, I really need to think about this. Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, probably. I I mean, mean, he's my favorite actor. For him though, he's so like consistent across the board that like, is there one single one that comes to mind? And then some of his smaller ones like Boogie Nights where he's very supporting are like among his most memorable parts, you know? Magnolia is maybe one of my favorite performances. Magnolia is in my top 10 of favorite movies of all time. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just decided. (laughs) Well, Carla, maybe if you can think of some of your other favorite performances, we can tweet them. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry that that was so boring on my end. (laughs) That was tough. Well, I could have given you a heads up of the potential uh, topics ahead of time. I think Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan is an incredible performance. Oh, yeah. And I'm not there. I mean – I don't necessarily love that movie. I think it's interesting. But just when you said that, she popped into my head right away. She's great. She's incredible in that. Yeah. Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine is pretty great too. Also, Kate Hudson in Almost, Almost Famous. Famous. There's one scene that's probably my favorite scene from a film uh, where he tells her that Billy Crudup yeah. you know, sold her for a case of beer to the other band. Yes. And she starts crying and then simultaneously starts smiling. What kind of beer? What kind of beer? It's yeah. such an incredible moment. Uh, you guys should watch that. Scene. And she never really got the chance to live up to that. I know. That performance. She's so great in that. I remember, yeah, I just remember thinking when she first started appearing in films, like how naturally charismatic she was. Anyways. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're dancing around the verdict a little bit. Oh, yeah. This was a tough one for me to watch because 
I don't know. It's just really sad and serious right away. I really do admire Sidney Lumet, and I think he's a great filmmaker. Obviously, Dog Day is one of my favorites, and I really enjoyed 12 Angry Men. Um, but I just could not get in the mood to watch this film. So this was a real struggle for me. We watched it over three times. I think so. Over three days. Over three days. We did not watch it three times. Well, no, because I kept being like, I can't. Can we stop it now? Yeah. I also looked up the ending online. Oh, Carla. (laughs) Because I was just, and this is a spoiler for this movie. Obviously, we're spoiling this 30-year-old movie. Yes. Or 40-year-old movie. Um, But I just thought for sure he wasn't going to win the case, and I just couldn't take it. But he does. Yes. He does win the case. And that's actually what made me end. be okay to finish watching it. Yes. Uh, anyways, there's just a lot going on in the world, and it's really horrible to read the news every day. And so sitting down and watching some of these more serious films that I haven't seen before, it feels like a real test to my uh, <laughs> ability <Psyche>. to function <laughs> like a human being. <laughs> Well, whenever we're sitting down just casually at home looking for something, Carla's always like, put on something fun. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're looking for entertainment to distract you right now. Right. And it's just everything's very sad and serious in the world. I even rewatched Force Awakens the other night and you were watching some of that and getting into it. But when it was getting to the part, spoilers, where they kill Han Solo, yeah. you stopped watching of like that was, even that was too heavy for you. Yeah. Right I now. Couldn't. I had to leave the room. Yeah, so yeah, the verdict is a very kind of dour, you know, sad movie. There's no humor in it. No. I mean, I mean it's David Mamet. Uh, well, I mean, I guess Mamet has been funny, yeah, you know, sure. state and Maine, but yeah. Oh, it, that's a great Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. That is by a the great way. performance, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um But uh, there's also other than one really overly dramatic point where they use music that I think you called out as being like over the top. There is almost no music in this entire movie. It's very still and very quiet uh, the whole time. Also very dark, meaning like the lighting. (laughs) Yes. And the, there's some really, I mean, from a filmmaking point of view, it's a really great film to watch if you're interested in camera technique because there's a lot of like uh he would shoot from below them or like put the camera in the corner and just have it at this weird angle for the whole scene yeah which i thought was really interesting uh but it definitely makes you it just feels heavy the whole movie just feels like a weight on your shoulders (laughs) yeah well to me that's why the payoff at the end is so good you know it feels like a sports movie a little bit where like they stack the deck against this guy so much let me, uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with the plot of the verdict, uh, so Frank Alvin is a lawyer who has been, he, he was never disbarred, but he ha- got left his firm, uh, in disgrace for, uh, he was framed for jury tampering. And so he's only had like four cases in the last three years. He's an alcoholic and he's an ambulance chaser. So he's basically going to, funerals that he's looked up in the obituaries to try to like give his card out uh to people uh he gets chased out of a a couple of uh services uh where he's kind of showing up as a as a leech uh and you know Paul Newman one of my favorite actors period like he's he's so good he's so charismatic and he's so subtle but he is kind of like that 
all American, you know, charming guy in most of his roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this really was a huge change of pace for him. And it was kind of like the transition into playing more like old guy roles that he would kind of do in the last 20 years of his life. Uh, and things like, you know, Hudsucker Proxy and Road to Perdition. Oh, I love those two movies. Yeah. Are either of those on your top 100? No, but I like both of those movies quite a bit. I liked, and... I think I saw Road to Perdition three times in the theater. Really? It made me cry so hard. Yeah. That's a sad one. It is. It didn't do very well, though, I don't think. Except for with my money. <laughs> I, I basically paid for yeah. it. Yeah. That's Sam Mendes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and a lot of actors wanted this role too. They were going to make it with Robert Redford oh, at yeah, one point, that. which, uh, you know, Redford is too charismatic, I think. And I guess Mamet wrote the original script and then Redford did not like that script. And it was based on a, a novel, uh, written by a lawyer in Boston. Uh, and so there were several rewrites as different actors were attached to it. They talked to Dustin Hoffman at one point. Cary Grant, who it surprised me to think of Cary Grant as still being alive in 1982 because he had retired from acting for a while, had considered uh, wow. being in the movie as well. Cary Grant also would have been great in the James Mason role, right? too, mm-hmm. as, as the opposing uh, counsel. Uh, but uh, but Jack Warden, who plays uh, another lawyer who's a buddy of Frank's, brings him this case, which is should be an open and shut, like settle out of court case. A woman... Uh, is in a uh, comatose state after she was given the wrong anesthetic uh, during her uh, childbirth. And so her family are suing the hospital, the doctors, and the Catholic Church. So I thought you would like this, Carla, <laughs> because you love movies in which the Catholic Church is the villain. Uh, love them? I don't think that's the right <laughs> way to describe it. Uh, they are therapeutic for you. <laughs> I'm definitely energized by them. Yeah, spot, uh, spotlight and the keepers is what I'm. But the reason of. it's the Catholic Church is because they own the hospital. Yes, and her baby died. Yes, and she's basically dead. She's brain dead. Yeah, she's in a persistent vegetative state. Yeah, and so so there you go, sadness. Yeah, that's that's very sad. So the the church offers a settlement of two hundred and ten thousand. Uh, to Frank, which he would get a third of that as the uh, lawyer, and he turns that down in order to take the case to court. He does this without consulting the woman's sister and uh, brother-in-law, who are his clients, which is a uh, which cannot happen. <laughs> so I right. think, uh, as uh, I think anybody who studied the law will tell you that there are some flaws in this movie's. Uh, plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's probably some procedural things in the trial also that like don't hold up against the, the legal standard. But I definitely, I saw this movie shortly after it came out. So I was probably 14 or so. I watched it on HBO. Mm-hmm. And I think it is one of those first like really like adult R rated dramas. I bet I you were so cute at 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a nerd sitting inside on like a Saturday afternoon watching the verdict with Paul Newman being like, this is really good acting. Yeah, I don't know if I, I definitely was not cute uh, in the physical sense. I bet you were. Oh, uh, no, I had huge ears. 
uh, huge. My face had not grown into itself yet. My, uh, my nose and ears are the size they are now, but my face with my head was about half the size. <laughs> so a huge ears, huge nose, braces, a- acne. Just, I was rocking everything. <laughs> Did you have a girlfriend at Fort? <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. And I, I frequently, uh, got compared, uh, by bullies at school would call me Alfred E. Newman. Oh, uh, because I, I looked like Alfred e. Newman from Mad Magazine. Uh, I guess the braces eventually fixed the, uh, the gap teeth. Uh, but then I had like a huge, like I rarely got haircuts. Uh, but I, a lot of my friends were like metalheads, you know, who like <laughs> grew their hair long, but my hair would, would only grow up or out. And then I would kind of like swoop it all over to one Aww. side. So I had like what looked like a middle-aged man's comb over. Aww. Uh, just, you know, bad haircuts, bad everything. But I lost myself in uh, serious movies and then began to cultivate uh, a movie list. And that's why to this day we have this, this podcast. Later, of course, I, I turned super hot. <laughs> After you met me. I uh, made you super hot. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Um, so I, feel- I would have dated you. 14-year-old you. Yeah. You were three at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about in this alternate re- universe where we were the same age. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, so what did you think of Paul Newman's performance in this movie? It's great. It's amazing. He's wonderful. He does a lot of like crying and uh, inner thoughts where you're like, oh, I get what he's thinking, even though he's not saying anything. Um, the camera's on him a lot just in a, you know, where he's the only thing that's telling you what's happening in the film. Yeah. Where it just kind of rests on his face uh in reaction to things like when he goes to see the woman in the vegetative state for the first time and he takes pictures of her you don't ever get to see her really yeah um you just understand how sad this is from how he's reacting to looking at her it's really cool how they do it because he takes a couple of polaroids and then there's a shot of him he's laying the polaroids at the foot of the bed and then we see them gradually fade in as polaroids do Mm -hmm. and then we just kind of see the look on his face of like i'm i'm gonna take this case and i'm gonna win it you know and then uh like the nurse uh tries to interrupt him she's like sir you can't be in here he's like this she's my client yeah she's my client (laughs) yeah it's very moving yeah um charlotte rampling of course always great uh she is uh, uh, spoilers, uh, for her character as well, but she's a woman that he meets at the bar and then they start, uh, shacking up, but then gradually you find out over the course of the movie that she's been paid by the opposing counsel to spy on him. So she's been employed by James Mason. Uh, and so it's like this huge, like Boston law firm, uh, against the little guy. So, you know, Galvin has his own like little practice, you know, he's a small time ambulance chaser and he's going up against all these high powered lawyers representing all the power, uh, the hospital, the doctors, um, the church, 
Mm-hmm. So it, I mean, it is like a David versus Goliath kind of, you know, sports movie where they stack the deck as much as possible against this guy. And then the judge is biased against him. Every possible ruling goes against him. Finally, at the end of the movie, when he produces a surprise witness who can testify, uh, against the, the doctors beyond a shadow of a doubt, then that gets ruled out and the judge tells them they can't, mm-hmm. uh, uh, weigh that evidence uh, as part of their decision. But of course the jury um, decides for Galvin and his client after a impassioned final argument from Paul Newman. Uh, and then the, the, the last great touch is they're like, are we restricted of how much we could award? Can we award more <laughs> than uh, the settlement of what they were looking for? So yeah, I mean it, despite it being a really heavy movie, I, I just find that that payoff at the end of the trial is so satisfying and, mm-hmm. and moving. Uh, do you want to go through some Carlos quotes? Sure. <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carlos quotes. Really bad font on the titles, by the way. Did you notice that? <laughs> I don't remember. They're kind of written in like a very uh, old-timey, like medieval type. And you can't even read a lot of the actors and crew members' names in the titles. <laughs> like they're hard to read. I kind of know who all the names were, so uh, I could pick them out. But Carla said, it looks like a Pope movie with that font. A what movie? A Pope movie. Oh, a Pope. Oh, yeah. It looked religious-y. <laughs> I th- well, I'm sure that was intentional on, right. on their part. But it looked like a movie about the Pope. Or, yeah. Um, like one of those Pope movies, you know. Or that movie. What was that miniseries with the The priest? young Pope? No, the priest who hooks up with that girl. <laughs> the <laughs> the Thornbirds. Thorn That's what it looked like. <laughs> Very popular. Early 80s font. Uh Here's another detail that lines up with another 1982 movie. Remember when we were talking about uh, George Gaines and his Binaka spray in Tootsie? Nope, but I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Punky Brewster's dad? Yeah. He's always doing that breast spray oh, yeah, yeah. before he's about to kiss the ladies in Tootsie. Uh, Frank also uses Binaka to hide his alcohol breath oh, before yeah. going in. Uh, so that's uh, very consistent with the uh, 1982 Um we see Frank at a few different funerals up top, and Carla's like, so many dead people. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he goes to funerals to get more work, right? Yes. He passes off his card. Yeah. Like, oh, that was a shame. What happened to your husband? Give me a call if you want to sue. And he's like, I was, uh, I was a, f- a friend of your uh, father's, which is a total lie. And then so one guy at the funeral calls him out. And he's like, you never knew my father. And Carla said, uh-oh, scario. <laughs> <laughs> And then you said, how do you know everyone your father knew? (laughs) Uh, And then after a couple of scenes of him ambulance chasing, Carla said, oh, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Then we cut to him in his office and he's drunk and he's peeing in the sink. Oh, right. And Carla said, peeing in the sink. That's what I call rock bottom where I come from. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> you can't think of a worse rock bottom in Kentucky? Oh, I sure I can. <laughs> than peeing in the sink? Sure I can. You got real excited that uh, Jack Warden calls him Frankie in this movie. Because uh, we have a dog named Frankie. We do have a dog named Frankie. Who's Frank- a girl. And everyone thinks she's a boy. Nope. She is a girl. Um, Frankie's not a, gr- a boy name. It's a girl name. Right. 
Like uh, Paget's character in uh, Criminal Minds is named Frankie, right? Really? Yeah. I was thinking of Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. There you go. That's why she we named her Frankie. To honor Sam Waterston's performance. Nope. Um, Lily Tomlin. <laughs> here's Carla and Paul Newman's acting technique. You think he got real wasted here or is he acting? <laughs> he did seem like he was really drunk. He was really good at it. He was? He was like slurring his words. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of like those early things of like just him like trying to hold it together and be professional when he doesn't have a lot of practice uh, at doing that. Yeah. You know? And so like it's a slow arc over the course of the movie is this guy kind of like coming back into competence and being good at, at what he does again <laughs> and just just kind of like regaining his humanity. Um, When we first saw Jack Warden, Carla said, that's my guy from while you were sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> He is. He's in While You Were Sleeping. He's um, the neighbor <clears throat> that helps Sandra Bullock. Do you care? Of course. Well, I, I do care. And uh, yeah, of course he – well, he's not the neighbor, right? He's one of the uh, – he's part of Peter Gallagher's family? Are you questioning me? <laughs> he's Peter Gallagher's family's friend. Oh, that's he's what it godfather. is. He's the godfather. Oh, okay. So he's not one of the grandpas or, nope. or whatever. Okay. Yeah. He's Peter Gallagher's godfather. Or, or, yeah. Or Bill Pullman, right? Are there brothers in it? Is that yeah. the yeah? Okay. Yeah. Like I don't know the entire fucking plot you of why you're sleeping. It's so good. I've seen it like twelve times. <laughs> uh, but Jack Warden, of course, is great. And there's two actors in this uh, who were in Sidney Lumet's first movie, Twelve Angry Men. Uh, so Jack Warden, of course, was the guy with sports tickets in mm-hmm. uh, the he was jury. Like, I got to get to the sports event. <laughs> the whole movie, yeah. yes. When is that sports event starting? <laughs> oh, brother, I can't wait to get to this sports event. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I believe it's a baseball game, to okay. be specific. And do you know the other actor who was in both movies? The judge. No? I don't know. Uh, the bishop, actually, is the oh. guy who uh, – he's the painter in uh, – he's a house painter. He's one of the working oh. class guys in 12 Angry Men. Who, when they start beating up on the old man, he's like, hey, lay off the old guy. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, so he's one of the smaller parts, but uh, he's actually quite good as the uh, the bishop. Uh, talk because- about range. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about range. Let's talk about range. Nope. Let's talk about range, baby. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about you. And me. Uh, but actually, I like that scene because you get the sense that maybe the bishop is not uh, totally a villain in this. So it, it, it's actually not that anti-church, uh, this movie, because later there's another scene where he's like, did you believe him? Did you believe that uh, that yeah. testimony? And so you, you get a sense. Uh, Edward Benz is the, the actor's name that he plays him kind of uh, sympathetically. The only one who seems like a straight up villain. No, I guess there's a few. Well, the, the lawyers. The doctor. Yeah. The lawyer. James Mason, right? Yeah. But at least you get a sense of like he's just trying to do his job really well. I mean, he's uh, – <laughs> Jack Warden has a line of like uh, he's the prince of fucking darkness. Yeah. Uh, but I mean he is like that stereotypical like you know corporate lawyer right. who just represents reprehensive people and he's quite good at what he does. But uh, there's a lot of like really sleazy lawyer types. Uh, the judge. Was the one I didn't understand why he was so evil. Yeah, because he definitely uh, – he has it in for Galvin. Yeah, he they yeah. just never really gave a good explanation of why he hated Paul Newman so much. 
Yeah, I guess uh, they just really wanted to stack the deck ridiculously. So it, it maybe is a little far-fetched, but mm-hmm. I guess it, it does, again, lead to that. Because even at the end, I thought he off. was going to come around, and he never did. Right, because then he rules against him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the scenes where uh, there's an early scene where Ken Cannon, who is uh, James Mason's character, and, and Galvin go to meet with the judge before the, the trial. And uh, Paul Newman is always carrying around this uh, attache case with him, mm-hmm. but it, it's kind of like bunched up on his knees and he's kind of like holding on. To, and then that scene with the judge is also like holding onto his coat and he just like looks like a little kid. Yeah. Like that there's no place to hang his coat or put his bag down. And right, so, right. you know, it just kind of like physically sets up that this guy is like a little out of his league here. Um, <laughs> there's an early scene where Galvin gets uh, some, he gets a doctor who's willing to testify against the doctor as an expert witness who can say that they did the wrong thing uh, in the operating room. And then there's a scene where, where Frank like uh, is like upbeat for the first time and he jumps in the air and celebrates. Yeah. And Carla said he grabbed his nuts when he jumped. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Interesting choice, Paul. Yeah. Uh, when they first showed Charlotte Rampling, Carla said, is that Helen Mirren? I said, Charlotte Rampling. You said, that's what I meant. Aren't they the same person? <laughs> they kind of are. Uh, okay. One of my top performances, Charlotte Rampling, even though I didn't remember her name. <laughs> yes. In that movie, 50 Years. Was that what it was called? 40 Years? 40 Years. I don't know how long they're, but that's what it is. It's how long they've been married, right? It came out like two or three years ago. Yes. And uh, it is the saddest movie <laughs> Yes. She's wonderful in it. It's one that, like, you can't breathe. You're crying so hard. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. She's, she's amazing in it and devastating because, like, the last couple minutes are just her at their anniversary celebration and, like, dancing with her husband who she no longer, like, trusts. Yeah. And, like, she's going through, like, 20 emotions at Mm -hmm. once without saying anything. Like, that's really tough acting. Who won the. Best actress that year. Oh, I think Brie Larson did. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I wanted it to be Charlotte Rampling, but then Charlotte Rampling said something weird about diversity, and I was like, never mind, you don't deserve anything. Yeah, (laughs) she said something old lady racist. Yeah, Uh, and it was like, geez, okay, never mind. So you could be a great actor and an ignorant person. Yes. Uh, And Brie Larson, that's one of the best performances of the last few years as well. Yeah, whenever you see this team of lawyers, they're like planting articles in the press. Uh, there's a, and then Galvin loses his expert witness and has to get this other guy who's a little more disreputable in. And when the, the lawyers are talking about him, that they list off all of his credits, which are not all that impressive. And they're like, and he's black. Ugh. And James Mason's like, don't make a big deal of the fact that he's black. And let's get a black lawyer at the table with us. And you're just like, oh, these fucking people. I yeah. hate them. Um, at one point, Frank says to Charlotte Rampling, my God, you are some beautiful woman. And Carla said, blah, barf. <laughs> I felt like watching my dad say somebody was beautiful. And, and then when they start making out, Carla said, gross. No one wants to see grandma make out with grandpa. <laughs> That's a good quote. Of course, Charlotte Rampling at this time would be about your age now. Okay. <laughs> You're right. Oh, God, you're right. Oh, God. 
So your grandma, your grandma in this situation. Oh, yeah. Paul Newman, much older than her, though. He'd be about 25 years oh, older yeah. than her. Like a lot older. I would think. Um, about halfway through the movie, talking about James Mason, Carla said, I was trying to figure out why this guy was getting on my nerves, and it's because he was the gross guy in Lolita. Yeah, it just occurred to me. <laughs> uh, this is about at the halfway point, I think, in our first attempt to watch it. I don't want to watch any more of your sad movies. <laughs> <laughs> Although I just realized if we're going to do a Meryl Streep marathon, there's some real tough ones. Hell yeah, girl. (laughs) It seems, it seems exciting on the end, but it sounds like we're just going to watch Death Becomes Her and uh, (laughs) Devil Wears Prada probably. I've never seen Death Becomes Her. Really? Yeah. That was probably the first Meryl Streep movie I ever saw. Speaking of Bruce Willis. Were we? Well, he's in Death Becomes Her, right? Yeah, but when were we speaking of him? Well, we weren't speaking. I'm trying to segue. (laughs) (laughs) What's the Bruce Willis connection to this movie? Oh, right, right, right. He's in it. He's in it. You can see Bruce Willis as a courtroom observer at the very end of the movie as Frank is making his closing arguments. So crazy. It's so crazy. He was an extra in this movie with a full head of hair, too. But it looks like one of those fake Bruce Willis wigs that later in his career he he would wear. Uh, but he's totally identifiable. He's, he's kind of like sitting toward the back. Like you can pick him out so easily. Um, this is a little less related to the movie, but at one point Carla said, my iCloud storage is filling up, but I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Man, I hate how it keeps telling you every 15 (laughs) minutes that your iCloud storage is about to fill up. Yes. Like what if, I mean, I'm going to pay to whatever to have more of it, but what if you didn't want to, does that message just never go away? Craig's listeners, please weigh in with some, <laughs> some IT advice for, uh, for Carla. Okay. This is just, this is the world we've chosen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've aligned ourselves with this technology and everything's in the cloud now. And that's just the life that we're in. Uh, another of the scenes that I love that makes you really hate the, uh, the lawyers is when they're rehearsing the doctor's testimony and James Mason's kind of grilling him as the uh, opposing counsel would and kind of like telling him what answers to give and everything and patting him on the back. Uh, um, <laughs> this is also along the lines of Carla not wanting to watch these kind of movies. Thanks for making me watch this bullshit while our country's falling apart. <laughs> And then there is a scene with Paul Newman and Charlotte Rampling in the hotel room for, or suddenly with this movie with no score out of nowhere, all this ultra dramatic strings are playing in the background. Yeah. And it sounds like something out of a Hitchcock movie. And Carla said, is he going to murder her? That music really indicates some murdering going on. <laughs> and, uh, one of the, the famous lines that Frank has where he's repeating over and over, there are no other cases. This is the case. <laughs> There are no other cases. This is the case. There are no other cases. This is the case. And Carla said, is this the case? (laughs) (laughs) When they reveal that Charlotte Rampling's the informer, Carla said, what a dumb move to make in a movie. It's always the woman's fault. Yeah. That bummed me out. And then she gets hit. He punches her in the face, which is crazy. I mean, that's crazy yes that's not okay in watching the behind the scenes featurette uh they definitely were torn about whether even in 1982 they were they knew it was not 
great to include that. But then the producer, who's like an old white man, is like... Was it Quentin Tarantino? Quentin Tarantino, (laughs) an old white man at the time. He's aging backwards like Merlin. Yeah. Uh, Like Benjamin Button. It was not QT. Uh, but the, uh, the producer's like, we were really torn about whether to include that, you know, cause Paul Newman is a hero and an all American kind of like, dude, can we leave a scene in with him hitting a woman? But then when we uh, showed it at previews, all the women cheered. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't think that's true. Producer well, man. that's, that's what he said, but that's not a reason to, uh, no. to leave the scene. And yeah, there could have been so many more interesting things that he could have done. Yeah. I actually thought he was going to plant false information. Right. And then have her report back false information. That to me would have been much more satisfying than him just walking up to her and punching her in the face. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that would be handled the same way. Yeah. Now. Um, you see how serious my voice just got. You've turned into serious, Carla. Yes. <laughs> no punching women. It's not okay. Uh. When he does have a lead on the witness that he's trying to track down, he's trying to open a, a mailbox with a screwdriver uh, to, to get a phone bill. And Carla said, MacGyver. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think when we see Charlotte, she's got a check from James Mason in her purse, right? The Jack Warden discovers. Yeah. And it's for 500 bucks, right? And Carla said, 500 bucks? That's it? That's not enough money, bitch. If you're going to be a bitch, you got to get paid. I think I said, if you're going to be a bitch, you better be paid. That's how I said it. Okay. Is that better? Yeah. It's like sing-songy. Okay. It's uh, like a rap. <laughs> And then when he tells, uh, when he relays that information to Frank, uh, and Paul Newman's finding out, Carla said, you mean she didn't love me for my brains? <laughs> well, let's go back to the $500. That's crazy. Like, why would she do that for $500? Well, this is 1982. It goes a little further back then. Well, I, I mean, don't know. Maybe she's get that's one of several checks she's getting. She's getting 500 a week, maybe. Okay. From him. They didn't let's, say that in the movie. Let's say that. Uh, and then finally, uh, at the end of the movie, classic courtroom drama, surprise witness, the admitting nurse, Caitlin Costello, who? uh, who they have not been able to track down. Paul Newman goes to New York under false pretenses, gets her to come and testify as a, as a witness. Uh, and so that scene where they announce her and then James Mason doesn't know she's coming in and I'm like, look, please bring in the next witness, Caitlin Costello Price. And Carla said, booyah, chachuya. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, of course, loving Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah. And, uh, Lindsay Krause plays, uh, Caitlin Costello. And do you know her significance? She's German. <laughs> Her significance is she's German, of course. Lindsay Kloss. Uh, uh, she was, at the time, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> she was the original Mrs. Doubtfire. As you know, there was always one Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it's much like the Pope. And <laughs> a new Mrs. Doubtfire is elected. Uh, she was Mrs. David Mamet. What? That was before Rebecca. Before Rebecca Pigeon. Yeah. So Lindsay Krauss, uh, David Mamet's first wife, which means she's the mother of the Shoshana. From, yeah, I can't she's say She's the mother of, uh, Zasha Mamet. Right. Um, oh, she is. So Rebecca wasn't. 
Rebecca Pigeon is not the mother of Zasha. Okay. Um, she is the mo- there's another acting mammoth daughter who was on Son of Zorn. She played Johnny Pemberton's uh, girlfriend on Son of Zorn, and that's Rebecca. And that, she looks exactly like Rebecca Pigeon. Okay. Um, but uh, Rebecca Pigeon also in State and Maine. That movie keeps I like coming that up. Movie a lot. That's a great movie. I, agree. I love it. I think it's very funny yeah. too, but very mammoth esque too. Yeah. Um, did uh, did you talk to the broad? Did you talk to the broad? She's gonna show her tits. <laughs> Uh, David, great, great quote to remember. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked me online what I think the most, uh, we need to answer this, uh, with a tweet, but, uh, they asked me what, uh, I think the most quotable movies are. And State and Maine has a lot of great quotes. I don't know if it's one well, of the most quotable movies. The thing that I most remember about State and Maine is that great bit where, they talk about how silly it is that um, elections are won by uh, – what am I trying to say? I can't quote it. What do they say? <laughs> well, this is just disqualified. <laughs> this movie is most quotable. Um, elections are won by a nose. No. Election. Talking about how the popular vote doesn't win elections. Oh, okay. And then like six months later – Al Gore lost to Bush. So this is before Gore Bush 2000. Yes, like yes. right before that. And then, of course, with our <laughs> most recent election, that's depressing everybody. Yeah. I mean, me. It's like, it's uh, it's absurd. Or Yeah. It's absurd. <laughs> it's like uh, our electoral process is absurd, but we still vote or something like that. Okay, yeah. And then that predicted... Gore Bush. Right. Okay. And it came out just a few months before that oh, election. Yeah. Anyway. Well, good job, Mammoth. <laughs> and of course, it still is an absurd process. It is an absurd process, but we do still vote and we send uh, thousands of, uh, of fake voters in uh, to pad the, the and totals. Russians? And tons of Russians. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I... I do think Lindsay Krauss is quite good in this, and I, I love the the showdown between her and James Mason on the uh, the witness stand. Yeah. Uh, what else was she in? She uh, she did get one Oscar nomination for Places in the Heart. Oh, I never the saw the Sally Field movie that she that was the uh, You Like Me, You Really Like Me right. year. And, I know that wasn't. Yeah. It was? Sally I Field that won- was the Norma Ray one. No. I think it was her second one for Places uh-huh. in the Heart. And it's like, way to rub it in on your second Oscar. <laughs> like, you like me? You really like me? Uh. Um, and Lindsay Krause also was the lead in Mammoth's first movie, House of Games. Okay. And she might have been in Things Change also, which was his second movie after that. Uh, I love House of Games Never quite a it. bit. Um <laughs> Uh, when they do have that resolution at the end of, uh, all the, uh, the testimony coming out, I, I think you were, you were referring to the judge maybe in this, but you said, ha ha, fuck you, Muppet man. Oh yeah. I was talking about the judge. He looks like a Muppet. <laughs> he looks a little like Sam the Eagle specifically. Yeah. Uh, right. <clears throat> and then after that, uh, the the closing statement actually you see that Galvin has like a page of notes in front of him and then he decides to put aside his notes and just speak from the uh, the heart uh for his closing argument and Carla said nice good work Paul 
And uh, after that scene where the uh, the foreman of the jury is like, Your Honor, can we award more than that? And then they cut away and Carla's like, we don't get to hear how much they got. Yeah, that seems so crazy to me because they talked about money so much throughout the movie. And then when it comes time to hear how much they're awarded, we didn't find out. You're you're all about the money, Carla. There was a great moment in this movie with because the sister and the brother-in-law were so upset. Um, or at least the brother-in-law, when Paul Newman didn't take the settlement and decided to try it without asking them, which I thought was crazy. Yes. But there was a, a great scene later on where the brother-in-law stops him and says, uh, you know, men like you make decisions and then it's people like us who have to pay the price. Yeah. And I thought that was such an awesome moment in the movie coming from a supporting character to really kind of give a thesis statement to what was going on. Yeah. For blue collar people that are yeah. suffering while, yeah. It's like we put our, you know, our hands are in, or our hands, our lives are in your hands. <laughs> and, uh, cause that's exactly what happened to that woman. Like she just trusted these doctors to do their job. Yeah. And then they didn't. Uh, and then he trusted Paul Newman to <laughs> settle the case. And Paul Newman decided, very selfishly like no i'm going to because he wasn't doing it i don't think he was doing it for her necessarily not at first not at first he was he was just doing it because it's like an opportunity for this fallen lawyer guy to like reclaim his status and his reputation yeah which is a bummer and then the 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 (laughs) just coffee today no no wine um the final moment where he's won the case, but then he, he like smiles like he just won, but then he sits back and he starts drinking again. And that's how the movie goes out. And you're just like, ugh. No, he's drinking coffee. Oh, he at is? At the end. Yes. Oh, I thought he was drinking alcohol. Yeah. No, the final scene. Oh, it- that's just like what I just said. <laughs> I said, nope, just, just coffee. Just coffee. No wine. <laughs> yeah. The final scene is Charlotte Rampling is calling him. And she's drinking whiskey. Oh. He's drinking coffee now because he's a respectable lawyer again. And he just lets it ring and ring and ring. And then it fades out on the ringing phone. That would have been a better ending, my ending. Where he's like, even, cause that's more realistic. Like an alcohol, an alcoholic doesn't just get cured. Yeah. All of a sudden. I suppose so. You know, <laughs> Do you disagree? Um, I was. I like the end. I was I like saying that I was talking about the ending because I really liked it when he went back to drinking and how sad that was. <laughs> you preferred it of him being an alcoholic again. Yeah. Well, it just feels like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would seem a little pat for him to suddenly sober up. Right. Yeah. Interesting. You know what David Mamet's original ending was? Um, some tits and ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Closing for coffee. The the original <laughs> script, they send the jury out to deliver the verdict, and then the movie ends there. So you don't get to hear what the outcome of the case is. Ugh. Because it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey for David Mamet. Yeah. And then the producers were like, what are we going to call the movie? The Verdict? Question <laughs> mark? That's funny. You ever see the John Sayles movie Limbo with David Strathern? Never. Uh, that is one of the all time top ambiguous endings. Mm. Uh, and I just remember being in the, th- I thought it was a cool ambiguous ending and the movie's literally called limbo too, 
but it was one of those movies where it like cuts to the credits and I just remember people viscerally in the theater being like, Oh fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like that Coen brothers movie with the tornado at the very end. Uh, serious man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the Kings of the ambiguous ending, right? All right. (laughs) You say so. What was I going to say? I had something to say. Oh, David Strathern is a really good actor. Sure. I, he's like, uh, I think he's probably as good as Paul Newman has just never been given the right role. Hmm. I, I really do think he's amazing. Yeah. He's great. Do you believe me? Uh, I, I, look, I got nothing bad to say about David Strathern. Uh, I need to go pick out some movies so I can prove my thesis. Pick out some movies? Pick them out. <laughs> oh, pick them out. Yeah. I thought you were saying pick out on some movies. I need to pick out on some David Strathern movies. <laughs> Just get a pizza and watch some good night and good luck. Yeah. Um, Carla, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Okay. So I'm going to give it a grade, but I just need to tell you, this is just based totally on my experience of viewing it right now in my life. And it's probably better than I'm going to give it a grade for. Okay. B minus. B minus. Okay. What does that stand for? Um, what does it stand for? Um, but sometimes even Paul Newman doesn't make a movie in A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to do a little scene from the movie then? Do you disagree with my letter grade? B minus seems harsh to I me. I feel a little bad. But I, but I have to be honest in giving the, giving the grade based on how I experienced watching the movie. Absolutely. Even though I know that it's probably better than that. Uh, I, B minus is about what I thought you would give it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But I, you know, I'm sitting next to you while you're watching it. I'm getting a sense of how you're reacting yeah. <laughs> to the movie. I think during the final trial, you started to perk up a little more and get into the arc of it, you know, yeah. because uh, it is such a, uh, a satisfying ending. Of course, like it would be a huge bummer if he lost the case. So, right. you know, that I think it is a, a good payoff. I think, you know, some of the things you mentioned, uh, I mean, there are dated, like problematic, aspects of mm-hmm. it um that would not be done the same way today like it it is like a little you know middle-aged straight white man uh redeeming himself at the expense of other people you right. know which is something i did not think about uh when i was 14 right. um because i had braces and acne i'm just like this guy is the coolest guy in the world <laughs> This alcoholic, but I think, uh, I think I'll move it I, and rewatching it. I think that, uh, 12 Angry Men is better. Yeah. In terms of Sydney Lumet courtroom dramas. I, I agree. So I'm going to keep the verdict on the list, but move it, uh, behind 12 Angry Men a bit. Nice. I like how I'm totally affecting your choice. I don't know, but totally <laughs> affecting. You are at least partially, uh, affecting. It feels like a real marriage. <laughs> Finally, for the first time, we are in a real marriage. Um, well, why don't we do what if uh, Frank picks up that phone call at the end of the movie? Then, okay, from uh, from Laura, and I'm playing Laura. You're playing Charlotte Rampling, okay, um, or Helen Mirren, however you'd like to do it. <laughs> and uh, okay. Hello? Uh, Paul. <laughs> I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. This is Frank Galvin. <laughs> That's what I meant. Uh, 
Frank, it's me, Charlotte. Charlotte? Is this Laura by any chance? <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm so drunk. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm just drinking coffee. Uh, well, you should join me for a drink. I can't, I can't do that, Laura. I just wanted to say I'm so sorry. I'm so very sorry that you punched me in the face. Uh, you you got what was coming to you. You punched me so hard and it made me it so kind sorry. Of a, kind of a half punch, half slap. Yeah, it made me very sad. But and I, I thought, how can I love a man who punches me in the face? And then I thought, but he has the bluest eyes and the most delicious salad dressing I've ever tasted. My salad dressing is incredible. <laughs> uh, my popcorn's pretty good as well. Oh, I would love to try it sometime. Look, if you want to come over and taste my salad dressing, you're you're welcome to. Um, Excuse you have me, a, I was what was just, that? Do you have a dog? I, my, it's my dog, shaking okay. off. How come I've never seen your dog? Uh, I've been over. You at your don't place. know a lot about me. I've been lying to you this whole time, just I, like, just like a man and a woman <laughs> who've been married for fifty years, and the man lies to the woman the whole time. Look, I don't know about that situation. It's a very sad story. How could you do all this for 500 bucks? Well, look, I have some debts. They're small debts. (laughs) What what debts? Well, first of all, I paid a man to paint my living room. Oh, that's a terrible color. I've seen it. It's awful. Well. You paid someone to do that? I did, and I gave him the color of money. But it wasn't (laughs) enough. The color of money. And it wasn't enough, so I had to pay him some more. Also, my dog is starving. Well, feed your dog. It needed food, and I can buy two bags. I'll buy you dog food. You didn't have to betray me. Also, I needed to buy some concealer in case a man punched me in the face. Well, that was a good investment then. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is I'm sorry. Okay. And if you come over, I'll feed you alcohol. All right, I'll come over and some boobies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you ready to kiss Grandpa? (laughs) Come on, Grandpa. Grandma's waiting. (laughs) Dear God. Okay. (laughs) So there it is, the long lost. I've never laughed so hard in an improv scene. (laughs) The long lost final scene to the verdict. Why are boobies so fun to say? Boobies. It's a fun (laughs) word, I think. Uh, I mean, they're fun in general, but, um, yeah, I mean, boobies, just the look of the word is, is fun too. There's something about the, the two B's with two O's in the middle that like the, the word looks like itself. I don't think I've ever made you groan before. <laughs> Not on the podcast. And when I said color of money, you really groaned. Yeah. 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 That was bad. Um, <laughs> Okay. Well, Carla, it feels like, <laughs> it feels like after such a heavy, heavy movie that we got to lighten the mood a, a little bit. So. By doing an improv scene? <laughs> by doing an improv scene. So, uh, so how about a kid's movie? Or, uh, how about an animated movie? Okay. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Uh, there, I think I've mentioned before, there are three animated movies on the list. We've already covered two of them before. Okay. Pinocchio and Toy Story 3. You and- know what movie I like? 
<laughs> I'm trying to wrap up the I'm podcast, Carla. I felt like this whole thing was just me doing that. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, what movie? What movie do you like? I, I was totally doing a bit. You're literally doing a bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, next week's movie is number 61. Thousand. on Number 61 on Craigslist. And this is a Walt Disney film. In fact, it is the first feature-length animated film. And it is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Mm, controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a real controversial movie. <laughs> Let's see if you have a hot take on it. Uh, so hi ho, it's off, off to, to the work. Oh, off to the movies we go. Okay, and uh, we will talk to you next week, Craig's listeners. Oh, and we'll have a special guest for that. They already turned it off. Okay. <laughs> the list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>